Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Good morning. It's my privilege to be here before you. I'm Kevin Gregory. I'm one of the elders here at Point Church. And uh, it's my privilege to be taking us through Romans 10. And as you're turning in your Bibles to that passage that Mark just read, I want to uh, remind us of where we're at. Last week, uh, Corey started us off on this three-section, or three-chapter section of Romans, um, dealing with God's sovereignty and salvation and the will of man. Paul has a severe burden here for his lost kinsmen, the Jews. And he knows that they've rejected Christ, but Paul's desire is that they believe and that they know Jesus, that they come to know him. Uh, He asked the question in regard to them in the last chapter, in chapter 9, he asked this question. He says, how has God's word failed? And the answer, of course, Corey brought to us was, no, God's word hadn't failed because true Israel was not just the children of promise through descendancy from Isaac through the patriarchs. The children of promise are from God's own choosing through election, his, his choice. Peter addresses this very issue with a crowd who came immediately uh, up to them after they had just received the power of the Holy Spirit. It fell upon them at Pentecost, and Peter is standing before them, and he addresses this very issue with those Jews that had come for the Passover. He he starts off in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39 with this, and he says, And Peter said to them, Repent, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But verse 39 is the key verse here. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is not our choice. This is God's choice. We also learn that we are all dead because of sin and do God's judgment and wrath. See, God is the one choosing people whom he's going to give mercy to and salvation. Mercy, as Corey shared with us so well, is getting from God what we do not deserve Paul ends chapter 9 discussing how his fellow Jews were trying to attain righteousness through what? Works. Through the law and their works. In his words, they had stumbled. Stumbled over the stumbling stone. And who's the stumbling stone? Jesus. He is a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put shame. That was the end of chapter 9. Chapter 10 opens with this very heart-revealing thing 
about Paul. He has a very true passion for his fellow brothers, the Jews. And he says that in this opening statement. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal, notice this, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. See, Paul opens this chapter with a very passionate statement. He desires to see his fellow Jews to be saved, freed from the penalty of death that God declared will be required by them and all of us who are under the curse of sin. He also states here that they have a passion, a zeal for God, but it's out of ignorance of Christ and the knowledge of Jesus. So the Jesus that God sent to be their Savior becomes their stumbling block. The first lesson I want you to learn here is our zeal, our zeal should never, ever surpass knowing Jesus. Should never surpass knowing Jesus. Paul knows personally about this type of zeal because he experienced it. Early on in his life, Paul was considered a zealot. <laughs> That's how much zeal he had for his branch being a Pharisee of the Jews. Before he came to know Jesus, he was known as a persecutor, as a zealot of his faith. In Acts 22, 3 through 4, Paul states this of himself. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the field of Gamaliel. He is like the, one of the greatest Hebrew teachers of that decade or that era. And he was brought up under it according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are of this day. I persecuted the way, which is what the movement was called for those who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he put them to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. That's how zealous Paul was in his what, understanding of his faith. See, he had a zealousness for God but he had no knowledge of Jesus. He even admits this openly in a letter to the Philippians in chapter 3. We're going to camp out a little bit here. I'm sorry. I apologize up front. I am a whole Word of God preacher. <laughs> and I will use the whole Word of God to preach about Romans. I'm just going to tell you. I was sharing with Nancy this morning. I have a hard time with Romans. You know why? Because we should have gone through Galatians first instead of Romans. I'm sorry. The only reason why I know that is because that was to the outskirts of Rome and then the Roman letters for Romans. But you kind of, Paul kind of builds on the Galatians before he gets to the Romans. And so I'm going to be a whole word of God person here. You're going to hear 
me going back and forth. But we're going to camp out in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. He is, this is what Paul says of himself. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, the way. As to righteousness under the law, he declares himself blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for what? The sake of Christ. Because he had realized the direction he was headed was not God's righteousness, but his own. And when Jesus hit him up, (laughs) he changed his mind quickly. Some of us here may feel we're also very zealous for the church. We enjoy going to church. We enjoy being involved in church. We enjoy the fellowship of the believers. We give our time and our money and our talents. And we have kept even the commandments. Some of us will say that. You know, those who grew up in a church, we kept the commandments. We have lived a good Christian life in our own estimation, just like Paul thought, and just like the Jews think here in this passage as Paul addresses them. He says this in Romans 10, verse 3, back to our passage. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. How in our zeal sometimes we do not submit to God's righteousness. What is the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God is holiness. Pure, unadulterated holiness. Something that none of us can obtain apart from God's grace. Everyone is unrighteous. Everyone is unholy because of sin. And we deserve death. That's our just reward. Death is a penalty that God is requiring. Corey stated this so eloquently last week. Righteousness here means being free from the guilt of that sin. And God declares that payment must be made. And his payment says death, bloodshed is what has to be paid. And the only payment he accepts since the arrival of sending his son is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only payment. So anyone who confesses and believes in Jesus will be declared righteous. Then will their sins be forgiven by God. Jesus paid the debt for sin by shedding his blood on the cross. Paul tells the Jews, or he says the Jews have tried basically to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to God's. And I'm going to trip over this. We each may know some fellow Jews who are very religious. They say prayers every day. They observe the Sabbath. They love God. But they do not know Jesus. 
You know that description? Can be us. We love God. We enjoy the scriptures. But we don't know Jesus. Beware. Some of us may be just like them, trying the same things to earn God's favor. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 29, when he answered the crowd, he answered them and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the question you may be asking, do you mean to tell us that those who don't believe the gospel of Jesus, those Jews who don't believe are lost? The painful answer is yes. Do I believe they love God? Yes. They have a zeal for God. But the question to ask is, how are we addressing sin? What are we doing about our sin? What are the Jews today doing about their sin? See, when God established his covenant with Israel, God established the various authorings, the bloodshed that he would require to bring them uh, forgiveness for their sins. God established that they had to bring an animal and kill the animal to take their place, that their sins must be transferred to that animal and the animal slain. That's the requirement, even back then. Then Jesus came, and he became that final sacrifice And anybody who believes and confesses in him would be then saved. So, if you don't believe and the Jews don't believe in Jesus, and for whatever reason these days they are no longer offering sacrifices, so they're not coming to God according to his covenant that he established with Moses or that he established by Jesus. Because their sins are not forgiven. See, they don't believe that Jesus was God's plan for righteousness. Therefore, how can they be forgiven of sins, which is essential for their fellowship with God? This is the point that Paul's trying to make here in Romans. The problem is, It doesn't just apply to back then. It applies to us today. These days, many Jews and many of us feel that our good works will make us acceptable to God. Our good works must outweigh our bad works. We we are seeking righteousness from works And we have rejected the righteousness that God has established for us. We are really rebelling against God's path of righteousness. We've established our own sense of what that looks like. Paul here declares, this is not true (laughs) today. We too often fail and fall 
when it comes to doing good things for the Lord. We think that somehow some of those things will earn us his favor. But the truth is, God loves us no matter what we are or what we do. That's the first thing. And he sent his son to die for us no matter what we've done to cover all of our sin, both now and in the future. So point number two is our good deeds, our righteous acts will never, ever earn our salvation. Just like the Jews Paul's addressing, we cannot establish what makes us righteous. Because then I have a question. How good is good? How many deeds are enough? Who determines when you hit the mark? According to Scripture, if we're going to live by the law, then we must be perfect in it. No mistakes. So my question to you is, who in here has ever lied? Everybody, I can guarantee you, has done a lie at some point in their life. Guess what? You missed the mark. You missed the mark. You see, we must submit to God and His righteousness. God's righteousness says that obedience to the law or doing good works is not what makes us righteous. It is believing in His Son Jesus, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That's the gospel. That's what brings about our righteousness before God. Because Jesus is the ultimate blood sacrifice that covers all of our sins. And Paul says this as we get back to our passage in Romans 10, verse 4, when he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Making this bold claim that Jesus is our righteousness before God and not the law, the Ten Commandments, was what, was what, this is what the Jews had believed for so long, that following the law and observing those things was what made them saved, what their salvation. Paul here is now boldly proclaiming that this is no longer true. And Paul himself had to face this reality with his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. After this encounter with Jesus, Paul addresses his own self-righteousness and his own self-righteous position under the law. And he makes a comparison to that, to knowing Jesus. This also comes from that Philippians passage I was sharing in chapter 3. It's a little bit further on in verse 8 through 11. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that final resurrection into heaven. See, here in Romans 10, Paul wants to set the record completely straight. There's no other passage in Scripture that gets to this point so clearly. That's why when we talk about the Romans road, who's heard of the Romans road in here before? This is the passage of Scripture that we try to lead all believers in. Why? Because it's pretty darn straight as to what you need to do to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to continue. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That was the law of Moses. But the righteousness based on faith says... And this is where we need to get this right. This is what this is meaning. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, do this great work that Jesus did, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend to the abyss, again, the work of Christ, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. It's not the law, and it's not the works. It's not our heroic deeds that we become righteousness. I'm sorry, Nancy, you don't have this. Or well, she's not there. Michelle, I keep forgetting. It's Michelle now, not Nancy. Michelle, you don't have this, so I'm going to go off script a little bit. But this is important. This is that passage in Galatians that I say, you need to see Galatians before you can do Romans. So here's your homework assignment. Go home and read Galatians this week. But here's this one nugget that I'm going to bring about the law. 19, Galatians 3, verses 19 through 29. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. In other words, it was to point us to God, the need of a Savior. We can't keep the commandments We break the first one with a lie. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate it for one only, but God is one. And they're talking about Moses is the mediator for the law of God. Now, and then he says, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all are under sin that the promise of faith is in Jesus Christ that might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which were, would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified to him by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, 
then you are Abraham's seed and therefore heir according to the promise. I hope that clarifies a little bit too what Corey talked about, about it's just not the descendants of Abraham. It's everybody, Jew or Greek, who believes in the name of Jesus. And again, there's so much more in there to the Galatians letter. I encourage you to go ahead and read it. But Paul goes on here in Romans 10, verse 8 with this. But what does it say? What does Scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Salvation isn't something that we do or succeed at. Salvation is all not something, is also not something that is away off or in some heavenly place or below on some earthly place. It is close to us. It is close to our mouth and it is close to our heart. It's this close. Confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. The problem is sinners who are lost today say it's okay to live in sin. Christians just need to accept. They need to accept us for where we are. If we're living the way we do, you Christians just want to change us. You do not love us because if you loved us, you'd allow us to enjoy and live in our sin. The reality is that we love the sinners and we hate the sin. Why? Because we're all sinners. We hate the sin in our own life. But we know that our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's what makes us right before God. This was Paul's desire, to get people right before God. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. But broad is the way, and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Beware of those endeavors of men and women today, sinners today, that try to broaden the gate. We hear it from all over. Oh, God surely loves all mankind. God loves Buddhists. God loves Hindus. God loves Muslims. God loves everybody. Yes, that's true. But what they're saying is all religions are good. All religions get you to heaven. They are broadening the gate. While it is true that God longs for everyone to confess and believe, there is only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. God established the way to righteousness through giving his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. You know what the problem is? The cross offends people. Because the cross tells you and tells them there's only one way to live. And there's only one way to God's righteousness. If it were possible that man could be saved 
any other way, then the cross would not be necessary. Paul wants to be completely clear here about how we are saved by faith. And I want to be completely clear with my message to you about how to be saved. And here it is in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, not a head knowledge, a heart knowledge that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see how simple God made his plan? The problem is, is we seek to complicate it. We tend to go right back to the righteous works. I don't know what it is, but our flesh loves complications. How many of you have done stupid stuff and realized, I have messed up my life and I've complicated it by a stupid move? You know what the problem is? We like to take too much credit for things. We want to see, receive credit for the glory of our salvation. We like to boast about what we've done, the dangers that we brave for God, the sacrifices that we've made, the dedication that took us through all those troubles and tribulations in serving God. See, we want to be credited with some great, brave, and marvelous thing we accomplished. Ascending into heaven and descending into the hell for the cross and for the cause. Paul, I love how he does this. That should be the crescendo of everything right there, right? This is how you know Christ. This is how you come to that statement. But he backs everything with Scripture. <laughs> he doesn't rely on what he's just saying. He backs everything with Scripture. And he starts quoting the prophets in the end of this chapter. See, because God used those very same prophets before Jesus came to try to point his children back to him. Amos is one of those. Paul quotes him twice. Once at the end of chapter 9 when we heard last week. And once again in our passage this week. Romans 10, 11 through 13. It says, for the scripture says. Not Paul's word anymore. It's now the scripture. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, Scripture. You see, I believe, we believe as elders, whoever you are, no matter how bad your sin, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Amen. But here's the thing. Number three. Salvation is not the end of your story. Salvation is not the end of your story. 
And Paul tells you here it's not. Sharing the gospel and making disciples of Jesus is now our story. The moment we believe and trust in Jesus, guess what? We're on mission. We're on mission. See, Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. Surprise, surprise. What do you mean? <laughs> I can imagine that discussion with Jesus in the middle of the road. <laughs> you know, Paul sees him in a vision and says, you're going to go to be for Gentiles. What about my people? You know, what about us Jews? I can hear all the conversation. No, he was to the Gentiles. Didn't change his passion. Because everywhere he went, he preaches in the synagogues. It's kind of cool. They're worshiping on Saturday. The way the new believers are worshiping on Sunday. He can tie his whole weekend up <laughs> in preaching, and so he does. This, however, does not trump his mission. Because in every place he visits, he preaches on the first day of the week, Sunday, about the new hope in Jesus. And he starts new churches amongst the Gentiles. He doesn't give up on the lost. He doesn't give up on his brothers. But he does do what God's called him to do. See, some of us have an affinity. We like one particular group over another. And that's okay. But we're all called to share the gospel, the good news, the final sacrifice for sin that Jesus made through God's plan of righteousness. We are called to share this message with those who are lost. It is out of our love for our lost family, our friends, and just the lost in general that we should be trying to do this every day. See, this free gift of grace and assurance of eternal life is available to all who confess and believe in Jesus. Yes, God knows who's coming to him. He knows who he's chosen. But we don't. We don't have a clue. And that comes by God's mercy. And nothing that we do in our works or in following the law will bring that about. But our job is to share what Jesus has done for us. Romans 10, 14-15 says, and this is his pain. He starts to chasten his audience in this very thing I'm talking about. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and again, quoting scripture, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yeah. See, Paul is chastening his audience and he's chasing us with all these questions. How can the lost call on Jesus if they don't believe in him? How can the lost believe in someone they have never heard? How are the lost to hear without someone telling them? How are we to tell the lost if we don't go after them? Paul here, and we in this church, encourage everyone to go and share the good news. See, God is sovereign. 
We do not give God permission and instruction. God is not moored to us. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not any of those things. We are moored to him. Like a boat to a dock. God saves us and he chastens us to grow to become like Jesus. And we are commissioned to go and make disciples of him, Jesus Christ. This is not a suggestion. This is his command. Believing in in election, believing in God chooses people does not mean that we should no longer be concerned about those who are lost. We hear this in a lot of churches. Oh, I'm saved. I got mine. What do I need to worry about? Let God worry about them. Right? God knows whom he will call, but we do not and never will. And it's still our mission to go and share the gospel message. If we are more to God, then we... We, then who better to talk to in prayer and ask, who would you like me to share about Jesus? When was the last time you prayed for lost friends or family? Do you not also believe that the God of election is a God that can change hearts and minds? See, we're not responsible if they do or do not choose Jesus. We're only responsible for delivering the message. But everyone is responsible for their response to Jesus. See, righteousness does not come about by our actions, even in sharing the gospel. Romans 10, 16 through 17 Paul continues, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes scripture again. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's reminding us that it's not our words that matter, but the very words of God. That's what matters. So how... Can you know God? How can you know what to share? It only happens through his word. He has revealed himself to us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want your faith increased, read the word of God. If you want the right words to share with lost family and friends, then memorize scripture or share or read the passages from the word of God to them. Paul asks a rhetorical question here in Romans 10, starting in 18, about the words of the prophets and how the words of the prophets have been given to reaching the Jews, and it really means it's reaching anybody. But he's one that he already knows the answer to. And he even knows that as he's asking it, we should also know the answer to before he asks. He asks this by saying, but I ask, Romans 10, 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. 
For their voice, the voices of the prophet, has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Isn't it amazing that we have the Bible, the very words of God, in every conceivable version, in multiple, multiple hundreds of languages? But Paul doesn't leave it at just that. He asks another question, even more compelling, in 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? Do people not understand? First, Moses says, a prophet of God, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is Paul saying that, yeah, it was through Moses, but God was trying to get the people to believe in the salvation to come with every possible means possible including other nations, including foolish nations, to get their attention. And then Paul says this, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul is bemoaning the plight of his kinsmen because they did not confess their belief in Jesus. God brought his righteousness and salvation to others. And as we close, Romans chapter 10 I want to let you know, it's not the end of the story for the Jews. We're about to find out in Romans what God has planned for their future. So my question for you today, as we review the lesson is, is your zeal greater than your knowledge of Christ? Do you think your good deeds will earn your salvation and salvation's not the end what are you doing to reach the lost around you are you praying for them I challenge you put on a card write their names of three people you know that are lost and start praying and see what God will do Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.